explore the night skies with our large range of high-quality telescopes. Whether you're a novice or an astronomy expert, we have the right telescope for you in our Australian Geographic e-store. Explore the whole range and find the right telescope for you today. Go to www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. That's www.australiangeographic.com.au forward slash shop. G'day, I'm Liz Guinness and welcome to Talking Australia. It's my great pleasure to be joined today by Michelle Lee, world record holding solo rower. Michelle loves a challenge and lives by the motto, dare to say yes. And say yes she did when she decided to take on one of the world's fiercest events, the Talisca Atlantic Challenge. But before you can run, you have to learn how to walk. And for Michelle, she had to learn how to row before she could embark on this gruelling four and a half thousand kilometre journey, solo and unassisted. This is her incredible story. You won't want to miss a second. And welcome back to my conversation with Michelle Lee. If we can skip back to you've just finished your million metre row. Um, You've finished it successfully and you're about to embark on the Atlantic row. Yep. So the start line was La Gomera, the Canary Islands. And so my boat was shipped across in a 40-foot shipping container. It's a fully organised, professionally organised and supported race called the Talisca Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. So in my year, there were 28 boats at the start line. 88 rowers from 14 different countries, and you could be a five, four, trio, pair, or solo. In my race, there were five solos, and you had to be there two weeks prior for pre-race scrutineering. So that's where they go over your boat with a fine-tooth comb. You bring everything off, lay it out on a tarp. They tick every item back to the last battery, the last Panadol. So in order to get to the start line, you're constantly just ticking boxes, jumping through hoops to satisfy the race organisers. And, you know, this is for your safety. So all of the courses that I had to do prior and um, the contents on board my boat in terms of safety equipment, all of that was pre-scrutinised and then you get put in the water three or four days before go. And uh, that's where people would go and do final tests on their water makers, their navigational equipment, any final last minute detail would happen sort of in that last two weeks at the start line. So it wasn't enough that you just had to mentally prepare yourself for the fact that you're about to head head out across the ocean by yourself, but you have to jump through all those hoops as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was huge. So race day, what time did you start? Um, Who's there? How are you feeling? Uh, it was all a bit of a blur to me. I look back at it now and sort of think, where was I? <laughs> it was sort of, um, so they did a staggered start. All the fives went out first. We went five minutes apart. So the crews with five went, then the fours, the threes, the twos, and the solos. I was the second last to row out of um, the little marina at La Gomera. And I remember laughing to myself as I'm rowing out. I was like, oh, my God, this is it. I'm I'm not turning around and coming back and I'm just going to be waiting until I completely lose sight of shore, which is something I never got to practice in my training. I never, ever got to experience losing sight of shore. 
So, you know, these were the um, things that you just brick walls, world of first, whatever you want to call it. You know, I didn't know how I was going to cope. I didn't really know what my reaction was going to be once I got out there. Yeah, I can imagine because that I feel like, you know, it's quite disconcerting when you can no longer see land. Well, I think having spent two years on the yacht, two seasons on the yacht, um, I knew that I was very comfortable without seeing land. So for me, it, it wasn't brand spanking new experience, but on my boat it was. And knowing that it was going to be for 60-plus days, you know, whenever we did a crossing on the yacht, it was, you know, maybe two nights or something, and then you were back, you know, on land again. So, yeah, for me it was knowing that it's going to be 60 days um, on a tiny little boat, you know, she's less than eight metres long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how many, how, for how many hours during the day are you rowing then? And do you row through the night? When do you sleep? Uh, so I rowed on a schedule for 14 hours a day, which I took a little whiteboard and maintained a very rigid schedule and I took a timer. So all my shifts were timed, recorded, and um, I maintained that for 68 days. I would sleep from 10.30 p.m. I was clockwork. Everything I did from day two, that routine stuck right through to the end. And uh, so it's amazing how quick you um, adapt to your environment. That's what I remember always being blown away by. I was like, man, you know, I've never done this before, but gee, I've got my little routine happening. Um, I would be in bed by 10.30. I'd be back up out on deck by 5 a.m. and, uh, you know, ready to do it all again. And again, you just become very good at what you do and what you throw your body at, the demands that you place on your body you become quite efficient at if you stick with it and do it long enough. And it's quite um, it's quite comforting knowing there's a schedule, isn't it, that you know you, what you're doing, when you're doing it, how you're doing it, I think, um, rather than – and obviously you couldn't in this instance, you couldn't flail around going, well, I might row for an hour here and I might do two hours there. But, yeah, there must be some comfort to be taken in, in knowing exactly what you're doing. Yeah, d- definitely. I think routine is essential. And I think, um, you know, even with COVID, it was important for me to keep my routine, which is I get up early, I go train, I do something. Um, So I think that was probably a big message that I'd love to share with people during COVID and your coping mechanism is to stick to routine and, um, you know, then you're not going to be left with that struggle when everything returns to normal. (laughs) Well, and also, you know, that sense of um, being, feeling lost, you know, if you've still got something to hold strong with or hold to or hold yourself to, it, it, you know, it's great for you mentally, obviously, and physically as well. Um, So sleeping in an eight-metre boat, where did that happen? Uh, So at my stern, at the rear of my boat, there was a six-foot-long cabin that is watertight and it had enough space for me to sit in without bumping my head. So it was, I could lay completely flat um, and then I could sit with headspace. Uh, in there, I had all of my electronics and my navigational equipment, my radio. I had all of my snacks so conveniently stored under my bedding <laughs> that became a bit of a problem because I, I'm a <laughs> 2 and 3 a.m. snacker. So I was snacking into tomorrow's and the next day's snacks before it even came. <laughs> and I had I had a, a rational oh, number that. of snacks. So, yes, I did run out of those, um, tragically. But Oh, look, I love the idea idea of rolling over at two in the morning and going, oh, I just might What's have a here? Turkish delight. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> True story. It happened. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, it was my little safe haven in the event of a storm. So if I did have to batten down the hatches and if I had to store and stow everything on my deck because it was too dangerous to be out on there rowing, I would just go and put myself in my little cabin, catch up on some sleep. And I loved it. It was my haven. I loved being rocked around and listening to the ocean outside. Oh my God, it was just my haven. Well, you make it sound rather idyllic, but I wonder in, you know, when you were facing some big storms. Yeah, I've got some footage, uh, some uh, voice recordings of me in my cabin and it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies. I can tell you that. (laughs) can well imagine the Atlantic Ocean has a bit of a reputation for being a tempestuous so were there a lot of days or nights where you oh, really were battling I, the we ocean? We worked it out and there was 10 tough days out of my 68 there were 10 really tough days where I struggled um, mentally physically and emotionally um, so I reckon when you look at it, the big picture 68 days 10 ain't that bad really are they so overall I had a really really nice time out there. I'm just wondering, for people who don't know boats and don't know this sort of boat, and I don't, I'm the first to admit that, how do you stay on course? How do you, where's your compass? Is that how it works or GPS? Yeah, so I had um, a GPS, I had uh, navigational equipment, just much like the one that you have in your car. And I could plot points, waypoints. And then I had an autopilot that would hold my rudder on that course. So I would set the autopilot and then I basically just had to generate the power to move forward. Um, And I also relied on the ocean and the wind. So I can't fight it in my boat. Whatever Mother Nature is doing, I've got to go with her, which is why these races or these events are planned so that you are going with the sea. You are going you know, with the trade winds. And, um, you know, some days we got pushed north, some days we got pushed south, and really we just want to go west. So it is frustrating and it does teach you patience. Um, It tests your patience. But um, you just basically have to learn acceptance over resistance because you cannot fight this. You have to go with it. And um, it sounds like, sorry, I was going to say that sounds like a really good lesson for life. Yeah, yeah, lots of good lessons there that you can carry through life. And, you know, I always say train hard, event easy, you know what I mean? So that for me has really put me in a nice position in the challenges that life throws at you. And I will reflect on everything that I learnt on the Atlantic uh, about myself, about how I know that I can overcome. I know that my uh, all the hardships in life are for a reason. You need to keep having them thrown at you in order to be resilient for the next thing. You know, if we stay in this really comfortable nine to five, Monday to Friday, I know exactly what my week looks like. When something different happens or is thrown at you, you fall to pieces because you haven't had the opportunity to practice building and growing. So, you know, I welcome hardships. I really do. And I look at them as a lesson and think, okay, this is my opportunity now to step up to really practice this resilience and, you know, I love it. I take it on. I welcome it. We have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $30 and save 33% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $30. Plus, you'll also receive exclusive benefits including 10% off all products purchased in our e-store. 
Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia for our special offer. That's australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. I know that during um, the trip you had to face one of your fears and um, dive under the boat to scrape off some, was it mollusks that were on the bottom of the boat? And there was some fear attached to that as well, being in such open water by yourself? Yeah, so um, the choice to go overboard is entirely yours as a rower and um, but the fact is I could see and I could feel it slowing me down the growth that I was accumulating under my boat little shells little shell fishy things um, it's like dragging plastic bags under your boat and uh, we did the calculations and if I did not choose to go in I would have added a good two weeks to my journey that's the payoff So I had a very overactive imagination of what was under my boat that was just waiting to eat me, of course, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it does. And that's what I had to overcome. I had to sit there and I had, you know, a few good talks to myself. And in the end, it's just like, you know what, Michelle, just get in, get the job done and get out, you know. And once you got in, you know, I did the put my mask on, I had my scraper attached to my wrist. I'm sitting on the edge and I'm like, three, two, one, go. Once I got in and looked around and I saw that there was nothing under there to eat me, there was no sharks in, in my viewing vicinity, uh, whether he was out of my peripheral and just hanging over there, I don't know, but it didn't worry me because I couldn't see him. So it calmed me immediately. As soon as I saw there was nothing under there that was hurting, that you know, going to eat me up, I was quite happy to be there. It was beautiful. It was crystal clear. It was cool because it got very hot on deck you're weightless you know it just felt so nice on your body and your limbs just to be weightless yeah and just some different motion for your body as well I would imagine yeah Yeah. so I did that four times I had to go in four times okay so faced another fear head on by the sounds of it yeah and you know that too is very empowering when you get out and it's like yes I did it (laughs) (laughs) so um you are now 68 days 67 days 68 days and you're approaching the finish line how is your how is your body holding up I've seen photos where you look like you had great big holes in your hands and your fingers from obviously the wear of the rowing how 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 are you you lost a lot of weight tell us about that uh yep so it takes a toll on your body um you know a you're sleep deprived constantly so although I went to bed at 10 30 and was up at five I woke up every hour on the hour to come out on deck and check. I wanted to eyeball the horizon. I wanted to make sure that there's no ships around that perhaps I wasn't seeing on my chart plotter. Uh, I would make sure that my boat was set on the best angle to the wind because it changes all the time. So you are constantly sleep deprived. You are physically fatigued. You don't have rest and recovery. So you lose a lot of muscle as a result of that. So I got off the boat 14 kilos lighter. And, um, you know, we did a strength test post-row and I had lost um, 50% in strength. And that's just, you know, it highlights how important recovery and rest are. And, um, you know, I had a toothache, I had an earache. So all these things start happening and they start playing on your mind and your mental ability to um, stay focused is now also challenged because you're thinking, what if, you know, the little bit of drama queen comes out in you? What if it's an abscess on my tooth? People can die of an abscess, you know, (laughs) you can turn toxic. (laughs) 
It's funny because I rang the race doctor on day 46 or 47 and I said to him, I'm concerned about my own mental well-being. You know, I've got a toothache, I've got an earache. And he said, oh, Michelle, you're doing fine. He said, everyone's suffering the same. He said, they've got skin infections, lung infections, bronchial. They've got, um, uh, you know, excessive bruising. They've, you know, and he listed all these things. And all of a sudden I felt so much better. I felt I'm fine. I'm not alone. (laughs) So, and he said, don't worry, we can patch you up when you come in. He said, you're doing fine. He said, just take more pain, pain relief. I'm like, okay, right. Up my pain relief. People are worse off than me. Instantly I felt better. What does that say about us? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's that's the effects of uh, rowing and being in, you know, you're stuck in the harsh environments. You're open to um, the wind and the wind chafe on my lips was so severe and so painful for the last probably two weeks and even the week after on land while I was waiting for that to heal in my hands. I developed the big holes inside my calluses. I had raw fleshy holes inside them that just wouldn't heal because you're in, you know, the sea environment, like you're always damp. They looked incredibly painful when I was looking at the photographs. I was just thinking, I don't even know how you, did you have gloves, you didn't have gloves or anything that you were putting on to cover them up when you were rowing or anything like that? Uh, No, I chose not to wear gloves because I figured that's just another form of friction. So you want to reduce every layer of friction you possibly can. And um, I decided and and never trained in gloves. So I thought, "Eh, I'm not going to change it now that I'm out here. And I figured either way, I'm going to have blisters and calluses. And honestly, if they were the worst of it, then um, that sounds pretty amazing. If you didn't have lung infections and things like that, like other people sounded like they might have suffered. Yeah, from. yeah. No, I think I got off pretty lightly. And you know, I looked at previous rowers and what were their hardships, and chafing was a big one. So I made sure I changed my clothes four times a day. I went through four outfits a day so that I didn't have the same rub marks, even like I would put on a different crop top so that I didn't have that same mark rubbing over and over and over. And then I'd put on a different one with a different line. Um, And I never suffered any chafing at all. So how do you, um, you obviously didn't carry four times outfits for 68 days. So you were washing while you were? Yeah, you're just recycling, constantly just recycling what you have on. Um, You know, basically I had four outfits that just kept getting recycled. Um, At best, at most, they'll get a very quick rinse in a very small amount of fresh water because fresh water is a premium and it's a luxury and it's, you know, you've got to produce your own fresh water. So, of course, drinking and eating is your priority and if you can spare some, you might splash it over your clothes or you might splash it over yourself. So, Michelle, you get to the end. Um, did you find out how many people completed and how many people didn't? Is that a, is that a thing with this yeah, event? Yeah, there was um, only – so everybody completed except one boat and they were a pairs boat. They pulled out within the first two weeks. It might have been on the 10th day or 11th day. Um, and so there was a male and a female on board and um, she started to have some issues and self-harming. So her rowing partner, he freaked out and said, you know, what do I do? Um, The support yacht took two days to get to them and then they had to make the decision themselves. And she said, I don't know where this is going to end, so I'm going to take myself off. 
So she got rescued and put on the support yacht. And then her rowing buddy, he also pulled out because he said, I don't know this boat well enough. He said, I've come on really late in her campaign. And he said, I don't know the electronics. I don't know, you know. So he decided that the best thing he would do is to pull out rather than put anyone else at risk if he needed a rescue at sea later. Um, So I imagine there would have been um, at the end of it uh, just a, a complete sense of sheer joy and elation at having finished, uh, mingled obviously with exhaustion as, as an understatement. Um, how did you feel? Oh, it was pure relief. Honestly, that's I just felt so relieved. And as soon as I saw land, so on that very last morning at 4am, I had 40 miles to go and I had decided I am not spending one more night on this boat. So I, at 4am, started rowing and um, when I, at the 20 mile mark, I could see land and I just remember instantly everything lifted, my energy lifted and my determination. Uh, I knew I was going to get there. I knew I still had to stay focused, but I just knew that's it. I'm going to get there today. It's going to be before midnight tonight. So, and I had my bestie waiting, Claudie, the one who I told very first when I said I'm going to row across the Atlantic, she was there to greet me when I came in. So she flew 50 hours, <laughs> trekked across the world to be there at the finish line. So that was also a big motivator, knowing that, you know, she's going to be there. And I was like, um, yeah, joy, pure joy, pure sheer relief to get on land. And feel safe. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, after 68 days at sea and, what, 4,700 kilometres, it must have been lovely to set foot on land. Yeah, and it was, uh, I remember getting off and I said to her, is this, is the land moving? Like I thought I was on a floating pontoon, you know. And she said, no, it's you. <laughs> so it took me five days to regain my land legs. Your next plan is to row the Pacific. And, and what sort of distance is that? And are you going to do it on your own again or are you looking for some company this uh, time? So this one I'll go solo again. It's um, 14,000 kilometres as opposed to 4,700. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're a sucker uh, for punishment. <laughs> you know what? There's, there's obviously something very nice about being out there that I'm drawn to and I can't um, resist. And my boat can't provision for two people for that amount of time. So I sort of have to go solo if I want to do this solo nonstop unassisted. So I don't want to make any stops to reprovision. Um, and, uh, also it means that I have to do things very differently, like the whole packing of my boat, packaging. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Packaging takes up an enormous amount of space and I know exactly how much because we had to keep all of our refuse, all of our rubbish was, um, scrutinized when we got back in. So, you know, at the end I laid out my 68 days worth of packaging rubbish, you know, just what my food was packed in. It was huge and I thought you can't do this on your next row. You have to have, you know, 10 or 12 meals in one packet. You can't have individual packets for every single meal. You know, you're looking at having four pre-packaged 1,000 calorie meals per day for between 250 and 350 days. So with my next row, I will be out there for between 250 and 350 days. So Michelle, I've got, I guess one, one last question. Say someone, I don't know, let's say I come to you, I call you tomorrow and I say, look, I've decided I want to do this. I want to row across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, what would you say? Oh, I'd say this is awesome and 
And no matter how hard you get told it's going to be, don't let that stop you. So I, I would give the opposite talk to Andrew. <laughs> uh, and I would say to you, keep your eye on the prize. Keep playing that over and over in your head like a movie and know that it is going to be difficult, but it's possible. Um, and then I would certainly be happy to help you and guide you in either whether you're going to buy a secondhand boat or whether you're going to build one. You know, like I've got a lot of knowledge now that I have gained that I would be more than happy to pass on to you. And, you know, I would also suggest that you do your first one in a race. And there are only two organized events for ocean rowing. That is the Great Pacific Race, which is San Francisco to Hawaii. And then there's the Taliska Whiskey Atlantic Challenge organized by Atlantic Campaigns. I would certainly say to you for your first one, do it with Atlantic campaigns because they make you jump through so many hoops and tick so many boxes for your safety. They are setting you up so well fundamentally for you to go and row an ocean independently, which is what I am now going to do. Thanks to Atlantic campaigns that I now have all of those fundamentals. Um, and I feel confident enough now to go and do it by myself. Yeah. Well, it sounds like really sound advice. I may not, you may not get that call from me tomorrow, by the way, but, and if for someone else out there thinking <laughs> on, about it, <laughs> it might be, it might well be a call coming your way. Um, Michelle, I have to say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute, um, pleasure talking to you and um, I hope that we can touch base with you again before you set off on your next um, grand trip. Absolutely and it's been a pleasure uh, also so thank you for having me on your show Liz. No anytime you come back anytime. Excellent. Take thank care. You. Bye-bye. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have any questions or comments feel free to reach out. Write us an email podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at australiangeographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.